How are you? Good, thank you. <laughs> you got a mouth. Is that cherries? We're having a heat wave. Oh my god! And we've just a closed. A tropical heat wave. Oh. You know that song? What? We're having a heat wave. A tropical heat wave. I don't know it. It's from a Marilyn Monroe film. Ah, some like it hot. That would be appropriate. It's from that one about Little Rock. I don't really? know it. I don't know. It. Does Please she do it all so. kind of saucy? I'm having a heat wave. Reefa has got her mouth full of cherries. This is Refigure with Chris and Reefa. A weekly dive into our favourite bits of culture, tech, and diversity. Hello and welcome to Refigure, our week in the arts and culture and tech and diversity. I'm Christopher. And I'm Reefa. It's been a very busy week. I've got a bit of a sore throat because it's hay fever season, sun shining, but there's loads to moan about because we're British. This is also our first podcast done at home for a long time. Yeah we've been away and having adventures I thought we weren't going to have any more overseas trips until the end of the year and then you've mystically booked us some time in Paris because why not so we're going to do a podcast from Paris or we'll be between seasons then mm. we'll be doing the Montmartre area this time nice this episode we're going to talk about three TV series that we binge watched together uh, just in the last few days the three new episodes of Black Mirror Charlie Brooker's near future sci-fi type drama on Netflix uh, Years and Years which was on what BBC2 or BBC, we watched it off the iPlayer but it's a BBC show Russell T Davis wrote it it's a show about uh, it's a six part sort of family saga type drama series except it starts in the present and then goes gradually moves into the future further and further into the future and then finally The Good Fight the brilliant American spin-off legal current affairs series it's a sequel to The Good Wife and The Good Fight is about people in a law firm what do you say African-American majority law firm in Chicago anyway the reason we're going to talk about all three is like we'll talk a bit about each one maybe but all three series are kind of reflecting the panic and fear and the kind of dark side of the current the world as it is now sometimes using sci-fi and sometimes using kind of unusual drama tricks they reflect on it so maybe we'll talk about that afterwards or maybe we won't i don't know i think it's a good analogy chris cool (laughs) all three of those we watched them back to back and it all became a bit intense and i started worrying about the characters and that's when you know that you need to have a little break from the TV. And it's, it was all a bit too intense, especially years and years, because it was almost like a current affairs programme. The only reason I flagged up years and years to watch was that I have an email chain with my friends in the Monday Club, which is like Jim, Mark, Neil, Les and Tim. Man and, Club. Yeah, and um, I, there was an email thread and they were talking about years and years and I didn't read it properly and I mistakenly thought that they'd said it was amazing and that we should watch it and then after we'd watched it when I went to Monday Club the other night I said oh yeah we watched years and years because you recommended it every single one of them said no we were all saying how shit it was so (laughs) so, weird yeah so we'll talk about that in a minute
Okay, in Black Mirror, there were three episodes, and one was about Miley Cyrus. She plays a pop star. Miley Cyrus is in it, and she plays a pop star in it who happens to have a little robot version of herself that can talk to the fans. So that was interesting. And then there was also another one about... The sexy priest from Fleabag, whose name is Andrew Scott. What was oh yeah he was the what see somehow I forget about TV programs we have to do these podcasts straight after watching something otherwise I forget he takes somebody hostage who works for a huge conglomerate Google type company and they have to try and find the guru CEO of the company who's on a meditation retreat um, somewhere in the middle of LA and then there's another one um, about. What's that one about? Okay, so it's like a virtual reality game where people play Tekken sort of Street Fighter game, except these two friends who haven't seen each other for a long time. Anthony Mackie is in it, who's the Falcon in Black Panther and Avengers. (laughs) It was interesting because there's only three new episodes. Apparently, they only made three because that film we saw, Bandersnatch with all the kind of choose-your-own-adventure bits in it, was supposed to be an episode from this season of Black Mirror. But he realised it would take so much longer to sort out Bandersnatch that they pulled it out and did it as a separate thing. Which, I mean, in a way, that's weird because Bandersnatch was really not very good. But um, these were felt like a bit of a return to form for Black Mirror. They were pretty exciting and interesting and enjoyable, even though they're kind of... USP, which is all about technology freaking you out, no longer really has the power to do that. The the tech in it doesn't feel nearly so scary. It all feels like sort of the same story again or stories we've heard before about the way tech interacts with people. Certainly the idea of a kind of AI robot doll being a kind of intelligent avatar for the person, the pop star, and then people kind of controlling the pop star or having malevolent motives. It didn't feel like cutting edge. It felt... That doesn't mean to say it wasn't well-made telly. It was. It was almost like the actors' performances and the human drama were what saw this season of Black Mirror through. Maybe Charlie Brooker's a little bit happier, so it's less dark. <laughs> because compared with like the previous series, they're pretty dark, a lot of them, aren't they? But then they've got gradually lighter and lighter as we've gone along. Or just that the real world has caught up with a lot of those ideas the real world is pretty dark and it's very hard to sort of make something that feels more malevolent that's than, than... real life so with andrew scott playing the the i mean they didn't use the real name uber but andrew scott plays in a crowdsourced taxi type driver like a uber driver and he's deliberately hanging out right outside this building of this company that you describe the kind of google type company it's called smithereens in order to capture someone from that company, in order to kidnap them for various reasons that you find out later. That felt so much like a human behaving in a certain way. It's because it's an astounding tour de force performance from Andrew Scott himself, who, of course, is he's like really hot right now because he was in Fleabag. You know, his career is this thing, but also he is a genuinely brilliant actor. Had it not been for that level of quality of performance, really intense performance that you just believed in, even when it was doing completely unrealistic things, that episode would have been bobbins, wouldn't it? The thing about some of the black mirrors in the past is that, especially that one with Letitia Dean, right? Letitia Wright. Letitia Wright, yeah. Especially that one with Letitia Wright in it and that particular series. Everybody who got their comeuppance at the end 
it was like justice was served with some of the people revenge happened um the stories were so like tightly woven and you were like on the edge of your seat and it reminded me of like tales unexpected and roald dahl's stories where you're like oh my god something really evil is going to happen but then at the end the release happens or the hitchcockness of it was there right Whereas these ones seem a bit like you're sorry for everybody in it. You're sorry for the guy that gets kidnapped who's just an intern, but because he's in a suit, the bloke mistakes him for somebody really senior. The fact that it's all set in a really um, like suburbs of England, but the CEO and the people who are um, trying to work out what's going on there they're just office workers really but they're very senior rich people in a in an office somewhere else on the other side of the world it's all just a bit too normal do you know what I mean and so you're just feeling sorry for everybody in it the people that are running the twitter slash facebook company smithereens they've got more data on the bloke and the scenario than the police do that's a really good example because that's tech that exists now, isn't it? You could completely imagine that if a Facebook employee, something happened to them in England now, that the headquarters of Facebook would be able to access quicker data than the you, the police in the suburbs of London or wherever. It doesn't feel like sci-fi, it just felt like... It's just that they do hold more data yeah. than everyone else. Any of these companies are just more powerful in a lot of ways. So years and years then, which follows on from that, is a Russell T Davis drama, I think it was in six parts, maybe eight parts, but we binged it all in one go. And um, it's a family... We shouldn't have done that. No, because it was, it was really intense. It's a family drama with a lot of the kind of audacious expository tropes of Russell T Davis. So lots of moments where the person in character starts to do a kind of whole rant that's to camera, that's almost like direct politicking from... Davies himself but just put in the mouth of the character that happened quite a few times basically it's a story of three brothers and two sisters and their mum and they've got a big extended family as well and some of them have got kids and that starts in the present and then as the episodes go on it winds further and further forward into time and kind of projects forward the current turbulence we've got here over Brexit and the kind of rhetoric of populism and anti-immigrant feeling that goes on right now and then takes that further and further forward and projects it. One thing it reminded me slightly of was Children of Men, the really visionary uh, Quaron film from... <laughs> it reminded me of EastEnders. And it reminded you of EastEnders. Because it's very BBC in the way that they're acting. The acting got better as we went along. It's very BBC. A lot of the drama takes place around a kitchen table. It's an extended mixed race family which is always nice to see on the telly so we see how the rise of the kind of siri type butler that they've got in a box in the corner extends throughout the years into literally <clears throat> being in the walls of the house and everything does center around one house one big family house despite all their politics there's a really interesting bit in it where the brothers all sort of pontificate about the rise of the right, the alt-right and fascism and racism is happening. And yet when they go to the polls to vote, one of them 
who you think is the most left-wing in the whole thing, he votes Conservative. And this is the thing, like, whoever's in your face at the moment, so every time we share anything with anybody that we don't like stuff, they're just getting more and more attention and more and more traction and more and more people just flip into that when they get to vote. Um, In some ways it was awful, wasn't it? It was rubbish, some of it. Well, I enjoyed some of the performances. There was, there's an actress, Tania Miller. She plays the daughter-in-law and the mum in it. She plays this... Stephen Lyons' wife. Stephen Lyons is played by Rory Kinnear, and she plays his wife. Which is an un- unlikely alliance, it seems, because he always plays really thuggish characters. Anyway, he plays quite a thuggish character in this as well. She's just really fantastic. I just like watching her on the screen. And she's like a stage actress, but I, I really enjoyed watching her. I really loved her interaction with Anna Reid, who is the matriarch of the family, and they are probably the two best. Well, Jessica Hines is in as well. She's a great actor, but she's not. She's got a very specific role again to play in this that makes her play a certain type. But Tania Miller and Anna Reid both felt like almost the kind of fulcrum characters, and both actors felt like they were a step above everyone else in still managing to capture this kind of, oh, this is a broad brush we're painting, but acting with realism. Yeah, and they're all trying to hold the family together. They're all trying to be really strong women, but they just let themselves slip sometimes where they're trying to be nice and good a lot of the time, but actually they're really hard-faced and angry a lot of the time as well. And also both of them have a lot more in common than they they realise. They they also have um, this sense of um, entitlement, both of them, even though one's a... Uh, I think second generation West Indian woman and the other one is a working class northerner and they feel like well the house appearances money status is all very important and when all of that starts crumbling away it sort of leaves them a bit bereft and funnily enough that was the most believable relationship in the show as well actually for me yeah there's a whole bit that um, I got really when we watched Chernobyl I was like shouting at the telly going come on don't do that. What are you doing that for? That's ridiculous. And there's a character, Russell Tovey's plays Daniel, who is this um, manager of a site for refugees. And he gets involved with this refugee who seems to have come and gone out of the UK a number of times and is in this camp. And he falls in love with him. And he just goes on this awful adventure trying to get his lover out of Ukraine, first of all, and then Paris and then just spends all this money and time and energy and his family just kind of support him on it. But, well, it ends really horribly in the end. And that obviously derails the whole programme after that. It's, it is very BBC drama, the whole thing. But I've, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good um, attempt at talking about some of the stuff that's happening at the moment and how people in the same family can be so different in their views but also how politics is affecting us socially and impacting us and it isn't them and us it's all of us in it together so the final show is the good fight the spin-off of the good wife which is a chicago-based legal show uh, which is fascinating because it's dressed up like a, an American quite mainstream glossy network law drama show but 
It's had three seasons now, and we just watched the fir- the third season. We've watched them all, and we watched all the good good wives as well. And they've taken this very much loved long running character from the Good Wife, uh, Diane Lockhart, who's an older woman lawyer of great kind of gravitas and experience. And they basically are showing us what happens to people like that in the Trump era. And she goes to work at a majority African-American law firm who have lots of their own problems to deal with, some of which are about racism and some of which are entirely different. And legal. there is a load of kind of mainstream legal drama going on on the surface. But underneath, the sh- underneath it, and well, not so underneath, it becomes a study of just how fucking bonkers it is to try and exist in Trump's America, even if you're quite privileged, even if you're in a powerful position, because you're dealing with these norms that you totally trust and assume are there, underpinning American life, being overturned. Diane Lockhart's played by Christine Bransky, hugely authoritative actor, absolutely brilliant performance in the middle of it, and then it's got all these other people around her and then particularly in season three injected in that is a really kind of tour de force slightly cartoonish big performance by the welsh actor michael sheen who shows up irish isn't he no he's welsh (laughs) anyway michael sheen turns up as like a a trump style one of those kind of alt-right veteran alt-right characters like a a neoconservative lawyer very flamboyant and corrupt and dirty and drug using and but his his presence is like a counterpoint to all the kind of the stuff that's going on oh my god i don't know what i'm talking about as the show unfolds basically the kind of main disruptive plot device that's making all of their lives a misery even when it's small specific things is stuff that is happening because of the removal of these American norms by the Trump presidency. I really enjoy this series. I mean, when I've said, oh, yes, I've enjoyed this BBC drama, blah, 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 and then you watch something like The Good Wife, fight even, the acting is just phenomenal. Nobody's trying to, like, explain everything that's going on all the time. You just let it all unfold. Everything's much more subtle. There's so much money everywhere (laughs) that you just enjoy wallowing in the interesting dynamics of a law firm. So there's a whole storyline around the civil rights activist who started the firm in the first place, and his name's Reddick, and he's dead. So his daughter is one of the other lawyers in the in the firm. And uh, <clears throat> there's a whole thing that comes out about him, her dad, having raped loads of people in the firm. What I love about this series is that if it was been any other writer in any other series and they did a similar storyline, when they found this out, they would have done a whole scenario about keeping it quiet or, I don't know, They would have done a whole different kind of storyline. But in this series, they tell the daughter and she immediately knows it's true. She doesn't try and defend him. She doesn't get hysterical and start, like, screaming that everyone's trying to do something against her father's name now that he's dead. Or trying to... I mean, and they know that this is going to hurt the firm, obviously. And they try and mitigate it as much as possible. But her performance is just so true in this scenario. And I just thought that was really good. It's just a really good thing. That's why it's different, is that there are lots of women characters in The Good Wife as well. There are female characters that are believable, well-rounded, plausible, and react in ways that people really do, and women of stature will do. 
every so often when they're about to explain a particular concept or they encounter a particular concept they kind of put an asterisk on screen and everything freezes and then you see this sort of silly animated song about that concept like there's one for non-disclosure agreements and there's a really sad one about um comparing refugees being turned away or treated badly at the border with the life of melania trump anyway they're really they're really good these songs but when they got to the one about china there's one about china cbs who runs the show decided to censor it and they literally put on screen for 10 seconds like this bit has been censored by cbs and they they just weren't fucking around and it was really amazing to see because it because the filmed bits are so well acted and so kind of glossy and high high production value having a suddenly hit a, like a quirky little animation in the middle of it like you might have in i don't know like a kind of hipster show like girls or louie or something or you would you wouldn't have it in this kind of show it really jumps out as being an interesting trick. Towards the end of the series, they starts to become this really weird weather pattern happening in Chicago, and skies are, like, turning red. There are these crazy lightning bolts. And then those are real news stories that they refer to on the screen as well. They're all looking at the search engines and showing them stories about buildings catching fire from these bizarre lightning bolts. Everybody's witnessing and watching the weather going crazy, and some of the people think it's the end of days, end times, and it all just makes everything seem really insignificant. There's also a whole other storyline that goes on. This is why it's so rich, this this series, and there are so many, there are multiple storylines going on, that when you watch something that is a tiny bit different, it's just a linear story with, like, a little bit of tech happening. That's why we're kind of a bit like, oh, well, that's, that's it's all right, it's great, but it's a 7 out of 10, whereas this is, like, a 10 out of 10 series to watch, and you get really involved with the characters. Anyway, there's a whole other storyline where Diane and um, the other partner get involved with a sort of um, undercover group a sort of what do we call it yeah. like a resistance group and it starts off pretty good and then it gets pretty dark pretty quick but it's really fascinating because the nsa are bugging her phone and it's all really spy stuff which we love we love all that stuff anyway it's a great series watch it probably you don't need to go back to watch the the good wife from the beginning but certainly you might want to start from the beginning with the with the good fight which of these three shows best capture the kind of crazy paranoia of now well it isn't paranoia is it because it's real like climate change is real the rise of the right is real refugees are real so it's not paranoia at all it's real it's the fact that we can't seem to be able to do anything about it for the british years and years captures that because it's showing the impact of real people it feels like you know our britishness and how close we are to europe and how all the things that seemed so remote and far away when we were growing up, like famines in Africa, in Ethiopia, it's all on our doorstep now and migration on huge mass scales is is a reality and we can't just keep watching people die in in the channel. Um, And for the Americans, it'll be the good fight. Watching years and years, even though I didn't particularly enjoy it and got annoyed with it, I knew, like, when you're watching it, we know it's not quite our kind of thing. It's like the BBC trying to create a mass audience thing that's got a bit of Black Mirror in it and then tells this political story. Russell T Davis wants to do that. He he really tries to 
get everyone who's watching in Britain to it for it to become a really successful show and then everyone to feel different and like refugees more and not be so all of that I think that might have worked not for you and me but it might have worked for the mass audience except apparently it hasn't been that successful so in a way it made all those yeah, compromises to intense. a mass audience yeah it's... we can't have like people I know who did vote Brexit and and feel that way about immigrants and refugees they don't want to watch something that's telling them off. They don't want to know all this stuff, really. No. And also, people change their minds. They don't think of themselves as this per- type of person or that type of person. They just think on the hoof about, like, particular issue at that time and then quickly change their mind. If we had more media telling us all the good stuff Corbyn's doing, then even the left will be like, oh, he's, he's brilliant, really, isn't he? He's like a clever chap who knows what he's talking about. But at the moment, they still think he's like... Some doddery gardener. What are you reading for? 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 That's very well put. What are you reading for? Well, I wrote something, so I'm going to talk about that. Oh, yeah. So if you go to reefer.co.uk slash blog. That is reefer.co.uk slash blog. You can find out the secrets of mindfulness and creativity, which was a blog post I wrote with collaborations from five of Brighton's business leaders. And it's super cool. Um, It's all embellished with quotes from them and how people like Andy Budd from Clearleft, Nikki Gatsby from Propellernet, Matt Adams from Blast Theory, Matt Locke from Story Things and Marianne Crichton from everyone mobile and how they generate ideas and what they think about creativity and I just approach them all and they're all really lovely people and um, just ask them for quick thoughts on their and uh, thoughts and feelings and they all came back straight away and all helped me out and I felt like it was a really good balance of like how to um, how people kind of get themselves out of their own minds and into their creativity in different ways. So that was really cool. So you can read about that on my blog. I really enjoyed that. It was a good piece. It was a good episode, wasn't it? No, it it was a good... It was a really interesting blog entry and it was really clever of you to pick the people you picked to ask to contribute because they all... Although they all have their own different ways of saying things, it was really good. Yeah, they're all amazing. Have you read anything by anyone else? I read a book, but you told me not to talk about it, so I'm not going to. (laughs) Well, I'm going to mention briefly that I have finished it was a diet book it was a diet book <laughs> well, you can talk about a bloody diet book if you want to no don't I finished Jim Bob's latest unpublished at this point novel I'm not even going to tell you what it's called and for the fir- for the final 150 pages A. I forgot that it was Jim writing it I wasn't hearing it in his voice I was just lost in it completely and B. I cried properly cried it's a wonderful book so look out for that but one thing that this week really blew my mind when I read it was this article by Jodie Rosen in the New York Times magazine which is about this fire that happened on the lot at Universal Pictures in 2008 and nobody was hurt and it wasn't a it was quite a big fire but it was like a warehouse fire nobody did it on purpose it was started accidentally by some workers on a roof and then it was put out but what nobody realised at the time or at least a few people did realise but they managed to keep quiet was it was the single greatest disaster in music history ever because 
over a hundred thousand masters, original audio masters of music by the greatest artists of all time was lost in the fire. Thousands and thousands and thousands of original masters in the worlds of jazz and blues and R&B and early pop and rock and roll. You've got your elbow on your phone. Oh, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, this fire turns out to have been a catastrophe for music of unimaginable proportions and it's only now emerging you know those recordings exist somewhere don't no, they? this is this is the original recording yeah but no but the, what i mean is they've been they've been put out into the world those records and stuff yeah but often they would be put out in the world on records yeah right? and then if you want to go back and you make a new version of it now on cd you don't just tape it off the record, do you? You go back to the master. No, but these days, like, I'm not being funny. Like, we're so used to a disposable culture. We're so used to... I know, I understand what you're saying, right? It's pretty bad, OK? And, like, it reminds me of that fire that happened when the London riots happened and the whole warehouse went up in smoke and loads of records got melted. But I just feel like all of that stuff exists somewhere and people can hear it, that music in various different formats. So you know with a lot of artists nowadays, they'll go back and they'll say, oh, we, we're we going to remaster it and we're going to re-release it on better quality now. And you can yeah, hear it but they probably also, already did that, didn't they? No. They probably and, did it. No. And also <laughs> albums, there'll be albums and albums of unreleased take different versions of the songs where you go back and you go, oh, here was an album and now here's a whole box set of material. Yeah, I understand. It's like Prince's Vault. Prince had a vault, didn't he? Yes, of loads of stuff that he never. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, so, yes, I can understand. There's probably loads of stuff that no one's ever going to hear. But I suspect of the majority of the stuff that was in there, we've all heard. No. Yeah, we have. No. Did you know that in the history of recorded sound, only 18% of recordings that were made during the era of recording onto tape? Only 18% of those have ever been digitised to the point where they're on streaming services or like downloads. Only 18%. So what's happened is our mental space thinks of like, because Spotify feels like it's an enormous thing, or because iTunes feels like we can hear any tune in the world, we start to think of that as the sum total of all the music that's out there. But actually, it's a drop in the ocean. I comprehend. Yes. It's a brilliant article. It's by Jodie Rose and it's in the New York Times. It's called something cheesy like the day the music burned or something. The day the music died. Also on the Refigure Instagram, I've put a little snippet of Chris's article that he's getting death threats from Madonna fans because he really didn't enjoy her record. So I'll put that up on the Instagram, which is what, Chris? Uh, Instagram, we are, we are Refigure. Refigure UK. Very good. On Twitter, we are Refigure Pod. On Facebook, we are Refigure Pod. Refigure Pod. Yeah. Very good. And I wrote that article for The Quietest magazine. It's the review of the new Madonna album. The, the album's called Madam X. Load of old tush. It's pretty close to being a load of old tush. Some of the music's all right, but... Pish. No, it was just funny because I'm not used to writing for publications that have... that get kind of shared around the world. You know, like Quietus is quite a reputable proper place to write reviews for and I've only written a couple of reviews for them and already I've like really pissed off everyone who likes Madonna so never mind I like Madonna just not that much holiday holiday see you next week 
till next time thanks for listening and uh, talk to you soon I don't know if I can do that. Don't fly.